You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Mark 16, verse 16. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This verse that I just read, Mark's transcribing what the women who visited the tomb must have reported about this very strange, as it says, terrifying and alarming encounter with an angel. Records what the angel said to them, the angel that they met in the empty tomb on this day, 1980-some-odd years ago. And what I love about this thing that the angel says is it almost sounds like he's having to sort of keep clarifying, like they're not getting it. Like, he has risen! Like the angel sort of assuming, like, just like he prophesied, like, get it? And he's not here! Look at the place they laid him! Like having to kind of like drill home um, what is sort of impossible to believe. I mean, what they were seeing with their eyes is impossible were it not for the power of Almighty God, right? Nothing about Easter Day is like normal or expected in the ordinary course of things. So I want to actually, for this uh, sermon this morning, work backwards up that sort of chain of explanation. So the angel says, he's risen, he's not here. Look where they laid him. Kind of work our way back just to try and wrap our heads afresh uh, once more again um, around this reality of Jesus who has been raised from the dead, who is raised from the dead. So the first thing, or sorry, the last thing that the angel says, the first thing I wanted to talk about is when the angel says, see the place where they laid him. Um, This is not an insignificant detail because all of the gospel writers record that it was these women who witnessed Jesus' burial. When Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, as we learn from John's gospel, When they buried Jesus, it says it was Joseph of Arimathea and the three women who saw where he was buried. So these were the eyewitnesses who knew exactly which tomb to go to and knew where his body had been and had seen his body put uh, in the tomb and the stone rolled to seal it. So when the angel says, look, he's not here, he's appealing to what they had just seen two days before. With your own eyes, you saw his body laying here and look, he isn't here. This is, as the Gospel says, alarming and surprising. Uh, And we see in all the Gospel accounts this sort of delayed recognition of really what's happened. Right? It's too much for the human mind to handle at first, apparently. But there's a sense of uh, sort of befuddlement and confusion and only sort of minutes later, in fact only really when they see the risen Jesus himself, as we see recorded in the other Gospels in the upper room and on the way to the upper room, there's three or four resurrection appearances in that first week. Only then does it really sink in. So I think the question that sort of is raised by the statement of the angels is, um, where did the body go? We know, um, actually, from Matthew's Gospel, that from the very beginning, um, there was a fear of the disciples stealing the body. It says in Matthew's Gospel that the chief priests wanted to just make sure that there was no chance of any conspiracy whatsoever, so they set a seal on the tomb and an armed Roman guard on the tomb, uh, just to make sure that no one could steal the body. When, of course, Jesus is raised from the dead and the angel rolls the tomb back, this looks very bad on the guards, and you'll remember they go to the chief priests, and the chief priests pay them off 
to spread, it's, it's a sort of ancient version of fake news. <laughs> to say, you know, just make sure you tell everybody that the disciples stole it. Um, but we know from all of the surrounding details that that's an impossibility. This body is gone, but it's not stolen. It's just vanished. It's disappeared. So the plot thickens. Where is his body? This takes us to the second thing the angels say. The angels say he's not here, which at one level is a very plain statement of facts, like he's not in this tomb. But I think there's a, an undercurrent of meaning to this simple phrase as well. He is not here. What the angel is communicating is that Jesus isn't here in mortal life anymore. He is no longer bound by the four dimensions of time and space. Uh, he has been raised, elevated as it were, into, as Paul would say, a spiritual existence in a spiritual body. And if this sounds kind of sci-fi and kind of hard to imagine, that means actually you're hearing the gospel. It is hard to imagine. It actually takes faith and devotion to be able to begin to see this strange reality. It's very real, but it is sort of hard to picture. What does that mean for a body to be raised spiritual? You have to ask the Lord to show you to understand that. That's what faith is. It's beyond human knowing because it's bigger than anything which we can see or touch or feel. He is not here. And that the angels begin, of course, with the great Easter proclamation. He is risen. And I think the reason it takes the pains to say he's not here is to clarify just what is meant by he is risen. He's not um, resuscitated, as happens in TV emergency rooms all the time. That would be, his body would still be there, he would just be sitting there, right? He's not revived like Lazarus, right? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus had to walk out of the tomb and, and then died again some years later. He's not been resuscitated nor revived, he's been raised. It's this different kind of thing. Something very uh, extraordinarily new has happened. It's never happened before um, or since, but it will happen again, right? We will be raised. That's the hope that we heard from St. Peter's proclamation read in Acts, that because Jesus has been raised, we will be raised. He's the firstborn, implying that more will be born. So this will happen again, but Jesus is the only one who right now exists in this strange new state that as Christians we call the resurrected body. His body has been um, transformed and made glorious. And it's not to say that it's sort of vanished from four-dimensional space, as it were, but that he now lives in a realm bigger than just mortal, finite existence. So again, if you think, like, think it's, it is kind of sci-fi, but it's the only way I can kind of get my head around it, is to think about him sort of living in dimensions beyond our own, so that he's able to step in to our dimension visibly, as he does in every resurrection appearance, right? And it's not a phantasm. He proves that he's not a ghost, or an apparition, or some sort of angelic being who is, most, who is bodiless. He still has a body. He eats fish and drinks and has breakfast. Um, as Peter says in Acts, we ate and drank with him. So there's this sort of bafflement, right? I mean, the apostles, it's like they see him every, a couple times after he had been killed. He eats with them, and then he disappears. He's gone. And there's this thing, okay, so he exists. He lives in a body but we can't see him all the time, 
but we've seen him a couple times. <laughs> I mean, it, this would have been uh, mind-blowing to say the least. But this is, in fact, the Christian proclamation that he is risen. And Jesus very intentionally shows himself to his apostles, to those who were with him from the beginning, to those who saw him die. So there could be no mistake that this was sort of, just again, some phantasm, but this was the one who died, who has been raised. Jesus, um, the, the more biblical and less sci-fi language for describing the resurrection, um, is that Jesus has become this sort of new order of things, right? Before Jesus' resurrection, there was the heavenly realm of God and uncreated and his created angels. And then there was this sort of mortal finite realm that we all live in. And now in the person of Jesus, having come down to mortal life, been raised from the dead, in him, these two worlds are sort of fused. Actually, not sort of, they are really fused. Um, the divine and infinite and the created and finite life are, are now fused into one. His finite body has been transformed to be infinite. His finite human life has been transformed to be eternal. And so he now exists in this sort of whole new order of existence and a whole new era has been inaugurated with his resurrection. This um, exists for the eyewitnesses recorded in the Gospels as just bare facts. We sort of understand the implications and the theology of this afterwards, but let's never forget this is all based on eyewitness facts. They just saw this guy raised and he ate with them a couple times. The Marys and Salome, they went looking for a corpse on Easter morning and instead of a corpse, they encountered the risen Christ who is still, right, the crucified Christ. That adjective still describes him. He was crucified, but he is risen. The Marys, we know, we kind of, all the Gospels, you know, the Gospels are written off of the eyewitness accounts. So they each give different details, sort of as eyewitnesses do. And we can kind of put them all together to fully understand this morning. We know that the, the Marys then run from the tomb, they encounter Jesus, and then they run to the twelve to tell them we've seen Jesus and he's alive and of course the apostles are incredulous at first even though Jesus had prophesied it they couldn't they, they just couldn't it was, they couldn't believe what they were hearing we can now because we have the Holy Spirit and it's well after the fact but this would have been staggering even for those who were with Jesus it's another testament to the credibility of the church's proclamation of the gospel account that the very first to see Jesus were the women who stuck by him and supported his ministry because in the first century which was a patriarchal age um, women were not seen as that credible in some cases they couldn't testify in law courts so if you know people that are constantly throwing slander and accusation against the gospel because if it's true it changes everything and so people don't want to believe it and so they say, well, you know, maybe, how do we know they weren't making it up? If you were trying to make up a resurrection story, you would never come up with the detail, oh yeah, and then these untrustworthy eyewitnesses told us about it, right? You wouldn't make up a detail that would hurt your case. You'd make up details that would try and strengthen your case. Same thing actually with all the eyewitness details. It's a marvelous thing to me that the Gospels 
All four Gospels all point to the same things, but all in slightly different fragmentary pieces to show that these things are real descriptions of what really happened. If you were manufacturing these stories, you would make sure everyone had their story straight and you'd make it all fit together with no seams. But we see, oh, there's a, John doesn't mention this, but Mark mentions this, and how do we put it all together? That's another testament to the credibility of this wild news that a man has been raised from the dead, not just any man, but the incarnate Son of God. Um, As the Russians always call him, the God-man, Jesus Christ. For this reason, um, the women are sometimes given the epithet, the apostles to the apostles. Apostle means messenger. So they were the messengers to the twelve, to the other messengers. They were the first ones to pass on this news of resurrection. And indeed, today, still, their witness witnesses to us. We don't believe in the resurrection just because it, it's, it's a good thing to believe in. We believe it because it's true. And the vouch that it's true is the eyewitness testimonies heard in the Gospels. So Mary Magdalene, that redeemed sinner, and Mary, the mother of James, one of the apostles, and Salome, they are still through their recorded words, proclaiming to us, Jesus is risen. So we receive their testimony as the apostles did. And what I encourage you to do this morning is if there's any aspects of sort of incredulity, like recognize that the apostles felt the same way. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, seek to open wide your heart again to this gospel of resurrection. Say the Lord, Lord, it's it's impossible, but I believe it. Because it happened, I trust your eyewitnesses and I trust you, God, that you are true. When we receive this gospel, we get to share in its benefits. We now actually know, no one one else besides Christians know, know what is beyond the grave. Every other religion has ideas and speculations and with more or less credibility. But they're all just guesses. We're actually sort of basing what we believe off of someone who has been to the dead and come back from it and says uh, through the prophets and through his own teaching that he will be the great judge of the world. That's what Peter says. He will be the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one in whom forgiveness of sins is found. So that's why there's a church we make such a big deal out of Easter because everything about the Christian life and message is built on this idea your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the, why? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Right? St. Paul would say it marvelously. He has been raised for, like the reason he was raised, for our justification. Meaning that we would have our sins forgiven. So that's why we've had 40 long days of Lent, which, thanks be to God, are over. <laughs> um, And all these sort of long services, many of you have been in church upwards of like a dozen hours already. (laughs) Because it's worth making a big deal about. This is eternal life. (laughs) And the knowledge of God and the afterlife and intimate relationship with the risen Jesus, who because he transcends time and space, is available to all of us who are in time and space. Right? He's not some sort of... uh, space-bound deity that is over here and couldn't be over here and you've got to go find him. He's instantly available to any who would call on him. So I, I pray that the Lord impresses on your hearts as we have heard this gospel and as we receive the sacrament again 
this Sunday uh, afresh. What privileges we have in the knowledge of this gospel and what glory God should get through the praises of angels and our praises um, for his mighty work in raising Jesus Christ. Amen.